Chapter Twenty Seven of Katrina by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Wayne Cook. Chapter Twenty Seven A Twosome. I believe it was about the fifth day, and I know at least that James was in one of his fits of gloom, when I received three letters. The first was from Alan, offering to visit me in Leyden. The other two were out of Scotland, and prompted by the same affair, which was the death of my uncle and my own complete ascension to my rights. Rankler's was, of course, wholly in the business view. Miss Grant was like herself, a little more witty than wise, full of blame to me for not having written, though how was I to write with such intelligence? And of rallying talk about Katrina, which had cut me to the quick to read in her very presence for it was, of course, in my own rooms that I found them when I came to dinner, so that I was surprised out of my news in the very moment of reading it. This made a welcome diversion for all three of us, nor could any have foreseen the ill consequences that ensued. It was accident that brought the three letters the same day, and that gave them into my hand in the same room with James Moore. And of all the events that flowed from that accident, and which I might have prevented if I had held my tongue. The truth is they were preordained before Agricola came into Scotland, or Abraham set out upon his travels. The first that I opened was naturally Alan's, and what more natural than that I should comment on his design to visit me? But I observed James to sit up with an air of immediate attention. "'Is that not Alan Breck that was suspected in the Appen accident?' he inquired. I told him, I, it was the same, and he withheld me some time from my other letters, asking of our acquaintance, of Alan's manner of life in France, of which I knew very little, and further of his visits as now proposed. Uh, all we forfeited folk hang a little together, he explained, and besides I know the gentleman, and though his descent is not the thing, and indeed he has no true right to use the name of Stuart, he was very much admired in the day of Drummondsey. He did there like a soldier, if some that need not be named had done as well, the upshot need not have been so melancholy to remember. There were two that did their best that day, and it makes a bond between the pair of us, said he. I could scarce refrain from shooting out my tongue at him, and could almost have wished that Alan had been there to have inquired a little further into that mention of his birth, though they tell me the same was indeed not wholly regular. Meanwhile I had opened Miss Grant's, and could not withhold an exclamation. "'Katrina!' I cried, forgetting the first time since her father was arrived to address her by a handle. "'I am come into my kingdom fairly. I am the Laird of Shaw's indeed. My uncle is dead at last. She clapped her hands together, leaping from her seat. The next moment it must have come over both of us at once, what little cause of joy was left to either, and we stood opposite, staring on each other sadly. But James showed himself a ready hypocrite. My daughter, says he, is this how my cousin learned you to behave? Mr. David has lost a new friend, and we should first condole him in his bereavement. Troth, sir, 
said I, turning him in a kind of anger. I can make no such great faces. His death is as blithe news as I ever got. "'Tis a good soldier's philosophy," says James. "'Tis the way of flesh, and we must all go, all go. And if the gentleman was so far from your favor, why, very well. But we may at least congratulate you on your ascension to your estates." "'Nor can I say that either,' I replied with the same heat. "'It is a good estate. What matters that to a lone man that has enough already?' I had a good revenue before in my frugality, and but for the man's death, which gratifies me, shame to me that must confess it, I see not how any one is to be bettered by this change. Come, come, says he, you are more affected than you let on, or you would never make yourself out so lonely. Here are three letters, that means three that wish you well, and I could name two more here in this very chamber. I have known you not so very long, but Katrina, when we are alone, is never done with the singing of your praises. She looked up at him a little wild at that, and he slid off at once into another matter, the extent of my estate, which, during the most of the dinner-time, he continued to dwell upon with interest. But it was to no purpose he dissembled. He had touched the matter with too gross a hand, and I knew what to expect. Dinner was scarce eight when he plainly discovered his designs. He reminded Katrina of an errand, and bid her attend to it. "'I do not see you should be one beyond the hour,' he added, "'and friend David will be good enough to bear me company till you return.' She made haste to obey him without words. I do not know if she understood, I believe not, but I was completely satisfied and sat strengthening my mind for what should follow. The door had scarce closed behind her departure, when the man leaned back in his chair and addressed me with a good affectation of easiness. Only the one thing betrayed him, and that was his face, which suddenly shone all over with fine points of sweat. "'I am rather glad to have a word alone with you,' says he because in our first interview there were some expressions you misapprehended, and I have long meant to set you right upon. My daughter stands beyond doubt. So do you, and I would make that good with my sword against all gainsayers. But, my dear David, this world is a censorious place, as who should know it better than myself, who have lived ever since the days of my late departed father, God save him, in a perfect spate of calumnies. We have to face to that. You and me have to consider that. We have to consider that. And he wagged his head like a minister in a pulpit. Uh, to what effect, Mr. Drummond? said I. I would be obliged to you if you would approach your point. Aye, 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 said he, laughing. Like your character, indeed, and, and what I most admire in it. But the point, my worthy fellow, is sometimes in a kittle-bit. He filled a glass of wine. Though between you and me that are such fast friends, it need not bother us long. 
The point I need scarcely tell you is my daughter, and the first thing is that I have no thought in my mind of blaming you. In the unfortunate circumstances, what could you do else? Deed and I cannot tell. I thank you for that, I said, pretty close upon my guard. I have besides studied your character, he went on. Your talents are fair. You seem to have a moderate competence, which does no harm. And one thing with another, I'm very happy to have to announce to you that I have decided on the latter of the two ways open. Uh, I'm afraid I am dull, said I. What ways are these? He bent his brows upon me formidably and uncrossed his legs. Why, sir, says he, I think I need scarce describe them to a gentleman of your condition, either that I should cut your throat or that you should marry my daughter. You are pleased to be quite plain at last, said I. And I believe I have been plain from the beginning, cries he robustiously. I am a careful parent, Mr. Balfour, but I thank God, a patient and deliberate man. There is many a father, sir, that would have hustled you at once, either to the altar or the field. My esteem for your character— Mr. Drummond, I interrupted, if you have any esteem for me at all, I will beg of you to moderate your voice. It is quite needless to rout at a gentleman in the same chamber with yourself, and lending you his best attention. Uh, why, why, very true, says he with an immediate change, and you must excuse the agitations of a parent. I understand you then, I continued, for I will take no note of your other alternative, which perhaps it was a pity you let fall. I understand you rather to offer me encouragement in case I should desire to apply for your daughter's hand. It is not possible to express my meaning better, and I see we shall do well together. That remains to be yet seen, said I, but so much I need make no secret of it that I bear the lady you refer to the most tender affection, and I could not fancy, even in a dream, a better fortune than to get her. I was sure of it. I felt certain of you, David, he cried, and reached out his hand to me. I, I put it by. You go too fast, Mr. Drummond, said I. There are conditions to be made, and there is a difficulty in the path, which I see not entirely how we shall come over. I have told you that, upon my side, there is no objection to the marriage, but I have good reason to believe there will be much on the young ladies. That is all beside the mark, says he. I will engage for her acceptance. I think you forget, Mr. Drummond, said I, that even in dealing with myself you have been betrayed into two, three unpalatable expressions. I will have none such employed to the young lady. I am here to speak and think for the two of us, and I give you to understand that I would no more let a wife be forced upon myself than what I would let a husband be forced on the young lady. 
He sat and glowered at me like one in doubt and a good deal of temper. So, that is to be the way of it, I concluded. I will marry Miss Drummond, and that blithely, if she is entirely willing. But, if there be the least unwillingness, as I have reason to fear, marry her will I never. Well, well, said he. This is a small affair. As soon as she returns, I will sound her a bit and hope to reassure you. But I cut it again. Not a finger of you, Mr. Drummond, or I cry off, and you can seek a husband to your daughter somewhere else, said I. It is I that am to be the only dealer and the only judge. I shall satisfy myself exactly, and none else shall anyways meddle. You, the least of all. Upon my word, sir, he exclaimed, and who are you to be the judge? The bridegroom, I believe, said I. This is to quibble, he cried. You turn your back upon the fact. The girl, my daughter, has no choice left to exercise. Her character is gone. And I ask your pardon, said I. But while this matter lies between her and you and me, that is not so. What security have I, he cried. Am I to let my daughter's reputation depend upon a chance? You should have thought of all this long ago, said I, before you were so misguided as to lose her, and not afterwards, when it is quite too late. I refuse to regard myself as any way accountable for your neglect, and I will be browbeat by no man living. My mind is quite made up, and come what may, I will not depart from it a hair's breadth. You and me are to sit here in company until her return, upon which, without either word or look from you, she and I are to go forth again to hold our talk. If she can satisfy me that she is willing to this step, then I will make it. If she cannot, I will not. He leaped out of his chair like a man stung. I can spy your maneuver, he cried. You would work upon her to refuse. Maybe I, and maybe no, said I. That is the way it is to be, whatever. And if I refuse, cries he, then, Mr. Drummond, I will have to come to the throat-cutting, said I. What with the size of the man, his great length of arm in which he came near rivaling his father, and his reputed skill at weapons, I did not use this word without trepidation, to say nothing at all of the circumstance that he was Katrina's father. But I might have spared myself alarms. From the poorness of my lodging, he does not seem to have remarked his daughter's dresses, which were indeed all equally new to him and from the fact that I had shown myself averse to lend, he had embraced a strong idea of my poverty. The sudden news of my estate convinced him of his error, and he had made but the one bound of it on this fresh venture, to which he was now so wedded, that I believe he would have suffered anything rather than fall to the alternative of fighting. A little while longer he continued to dispute with me until I hit upon a word that silenced him. If I find you so adverse to let me see the lady by herself, said I, 
i must suppose you have very good grounds to think me in the right about her unwillingness he gabbles some kind of an excuse but all this is very exhausting to both of our tempers i added and i think we would do better to preserve a judicious silence the which we did until the girl returned and i must suppose would have cut a very ridiculous figure had there been any there to view us end of chapter twenty seven